we'd like to welcome you back to part two, or part three, I'm sorry, of our current event and weekly Bible study for October 21st, 2012. Next report, this Halloween, Christian leaders challenged to take a stand or stand down. Now, there's a little parental warning on this. The author of this, uh, he gets into stuff, it's all true, it's just that some of it's... uh, basically bordering on inappropriate. It's true, it's just bordering on, I'd say, a little parental warning here. In the United States alone, there are now more than 200,000 registered witches, this group claims, and as many as 8 million unregistered unregistered practitioners of the craft. Okay? The craft is a way that they refer to their religion, the craft. Okay? Uh, On college and... High school campuses, vampires, werewolves, and other creatures of the night are esteemed as objects of desire and idolized by young men and women who view them as cult icons of envious mystical power. Evidently, churchgoers are enchanted by the darkness as well. On an April 13, 2011 article entitled Mysticism Infecting Nazarene Beliefs, Nazarene, another pseudo-Christian denomination here, was preceded only a few days before a Telegraph article describing how a, quote, surge in Satanism inside the church has sparked a rise in demand for exorcists within a traditional religious setting. And then there is the recent spate of killings and zombie-like acts on people and animals, as well as by individuals claiming to be vampires and werewolves. The arrest of a Texas man who broke into a woman's house, threw her against a wall, and tried to suck her blood is just one example. Another case involved a Florida teenager who was later charged together with four other people of beating a 16-year-old boy to death. The teenage girl claims she was a vampire-werewolf hybrid, and investigators acknowledge that she and other suspects appear to be part of this vampire cult. It is time for Christian leaders to take a stand and speak out on this issue, perhaps even using the month of October and the season of Halloween as an opportunity to address congregations on the dangers of this occult activity. But very few will. Psychologists have long understood how women in general desire strength in men, but few could have imagined how this natural and overriding need by young ladies would be used in modern times to... to seduce them by using mysteriously strong, yet everlastingly damned creatures depicted in popular books and films like Twilight, New Moon, and Eclipse. You know, hey, that's the biggest heartthrobs, these walking dead, vampiric-looking teenage boys. You know, it's just beyond sick. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the Twilight, and it's entitled The Twilight Series Exposed, and I give you a link to that here on page 12 of the PDF for... October 21st, 2012. And again, all my teachings typically will have a PDF associated with them that you can follow along if you like. And and there's a lot of visuals there. Obviously, I can't convey properly in an audio study. Listing all the related fan sites, music videos, magazines, television shows, and movies currently dedicated to sexual obsession with alluring demons in the flesh would be daunting. But these would have to include television shows like Being Human... Now, being human is about a vampire and a werewolf. It's like the ultimate odd couple, you know? Uh, A werewolf and a vampire that come in, and then they move into this haunted house where there's this ghost apparition spirit of this girl who supposedly died. But she's there hanging around because, you know, she hasn't finished her final business yet. You know, she hasn't resolved the whole thing with her murder. And so she can't leave yet and go to the other side. 
And then the, the vampire and the werewolf can see her. And so it's like, it's like you know, it's like Three's Company meets The Odd Couple. You know, but like a real satanic version of it. And the vampire, you know, he goes around, he tries his best, but, you know, he ends up, you know, killing people and sucking their blood and stuff like this. And the werewolf tries his best, too, and he tries to do, the, like, like, the right thing, tries to be morally, kind of tries to be morally upright. But, you know, hey, that bloodlust, it's there, what are you going to do? You know, and they always have the old ghost apparition spirit that can come back to their apartment and talk to, you know, to comfort and soothe their, their damned souls, you know, you know, so... Yeah, this is the way it works, you know. And when I use that word damned, it's not the cuss word. I'm talking about that word in relation to their destination in hell. Okay? So, yeah, that's just one of the shows out there. And what they're trying to do is make you sympathize for the vampire and the werewolf, and the girl that supposedly was killed in this particular apartment and can't go to the other side. Now, that girl is most likely in hell, okay? And that, what you're seeing, if there were such a thing in that particular case, or in like any kind of ghost, apparition, whatever, what you're seeing is a familiar spirit that was familiar with that particular person when they lived on this planet. And when they died, the familiar spirit didn't go to hell. It stuck around. And sometimes they stick around to a specific location because in a way they're bound to it by some type of sin that happened to that person. But they like to fool everybody into thinking they're that person that lived on planet Earth at that time. Which is a total lie from the pit of hell. And if you start to believe that, you might as well throw the Bible out the window. Because the Bible says we either go to heaven or hell. We don't get to hang around and, and, and settle unfinished business. But your familiar spirits, if you're an unsaved person with a familiar spirit, they get to hang around. And then they can continue deceiving people, working for Satan, and getting people thinking, oh, oh, we just need to release them so that they can go to the other side. The only place they're going to end up is hell in the lake of fire. Those devils. These familiar spirits. That's their only destination, period. So, that's another gigantic, huge deception. So, television shows like Being Human, The Gates, Underworld, The Vampire Diaries, True Blood, not to mention the hedonistic gay theme program, The Liar, um, a series that plays nationwide on all major cable systems based on a vampire-run sex club. This is the norm. This is why the Bible says, as I said earlier, there will come a time where those that depart from evil make themselves a prey. Now that, doesn't, now that word is P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y, a prey. Like a lion goes after his prey. If parents and pastors and youth pastors haven't been paying attention, they need to spend a little time looking into what their children are mentally and spiritually feeding on. Because we are losing a generation to darkness. Uh, Isaiah 8.20 To the law and the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Most churches do not speak according to the word of God. If they do, it's a real watered down version. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. The light of Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves 
and curse their king and their God and look upward. So, let's apply that to the modern day pastor. Okay, remember, God is sending the strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned or receive not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the norm. The norm is evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, as the Bible says. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The norm is a hireling pastor that has no true love for the sheep, but the true shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. The norm is a minister of Satan appearing as a minister of righteousness, but they're still ministers of Satan. That's the norm. The norm is certain men that crept in unawares who were before of of old ordained to this condemnation. They crept into the church, spying out their liberty that they have in Jesus Christ. That's the norm in today's day and age. Okay, so... If they, meaning these that I just mentioned, these false clergy, speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. That's the norm in today's day and age. And it shall come to pass that when they, these people I just mentioned, these false clergy, shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves. And this means hungry, I literally means when famine comes into the land, which could happen very easily. And most people are very ill-equipped for that one. They shall fret themselves. What is going to happen when they shall become hungry? They will curse their king and their God. And will look upward. They're going to look upward, in this case, to the Antichrist. That's what they're going to be looking up to. They're going to be looking up to the ascended masters coming down saying, We're your gods. We created you. You're our little science project. We're here to save humanity because you messed everything up so bad. And you know what? We're going to even throw you out another bone. We're going to make you as us, and you're going to be as gods. Just like the same lie that Satan told Eve in the Garden of Eden. Just bow down and serve us. Bow down and worship us. Renounce the God of the Bible. That's going to be no problem, because it says, they curse their king and their God when they become hungry. And then they look upward. And they're not looking upward praising God. They're looking upward to Satan, the prince and the power of the air. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. They will embrace the strong delusion. They will gobble it up. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, these false prophets, These false ministers of righteousness, they, they're going to appear as ministers of righteousness. If it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Matthew 24, 24. Lest we be ignorant of Satan's devices, lest he get an advantage of us. That's why we don't want to be ignorant of his devices. But these p- clergy that I'm talking about are going to be driven to darkness. You think they're bad now? You see nothing yet. So, going back to the main article. Consider as an example the popular youth-oriented magazines like Rolling Stone in their article, The Joy of Vampire Sex. Rolling Stone's had an article entitled The Joy of Vampire Sex. Look at the menage a trois on on the magazine's cover of three nude people bathed in blood with the promise to readers that vampires are, quote, hot, and sexy, and they're undead. Undead. Actually, they are dead. 
three nude people bathed in blood on the cover of this magazine. And they're vampires. And they're hot and sexy and they're undead. These are all quotes. I mean, this is some really, really depraved, sick depths of Satan stuff we're talking about here. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put sweet for bitter and bitter for sweet. And darkness for light and light for darkness. That's the norm. Mass media, including the internet, television, film, radio, and other communication systems have traded the Bella Lugosi-style vampires of former years and the silly Abbott and Costello Frankensteins and mummies for monsters of profound demonic character depicted as impervious to Jesus Christ's power. That is a huge sentence right there. That's why they're putting all this stuff out. With the aliens and all the monsters and the werewolves, they're trying to get you, Christian, to quiver in your boots thinking you've got no power to overcome these unbelievably malevolent, dark, evil forces. So you might as well just give in, lay down, and worship them. That's what they're trying to get you to do. But I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. You have to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're trying to do it to destroy your faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And dare I say, without faith, it is impossible to fight the devil. Without faith, how are you saved? For you say, by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God has appointed to every man a measure of what? Faith. Some have more than others. But if you don't have, ask of God, who giveth liberally, and upbraideth not. That's what the Bible says about faith. Ask him for more. But believe he's going to give it to you. And, and don't be living like the devil while you're asking him for more faith. You know, he's not going to reward, you know, evil behavior. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A big reason why a lot of people are going to fail and why a lot of people are going to cave and why a lot of people are going to go into fetal positions and quivering bowls of jelly or jello when all this stuff starts to go down, even if they've heard all my teachings. A lot of the reason that that's going to happen is because they haven't been in the Word of God. They've done nothing to build their faith up. They're little tiny baby Christians, if that. It's like a baby that's never been weaned off the milk. And they've never progressed to strong meat. And they have no faith. They have... They're not going to be able to fight. The Bible says that when you put on the full armor of God, it says, above all, taking up the shield of what? Faith. So you're, that you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The bigger your faith is, the more fiery darts you can quench. I'm looking forward to this. When we literally will see these malevolent beings on planet Earth. It's going to be real finally. All of this garbage leading up to now has been almost like a fantasy world. I know this; these days are coming. There's no way that Hollywood has spent the billions and billions of dollars they have on brainwashing us about UFOs, vampires, werewolves, every kind of malevolent being on the planet, and there's no end game scenario for that. Who's going to fight those things? It's a spiritual battle, 
you're dealing with on that level. Yes, there's a physical component, but I believe it's much more of a spiritual battle when it comes to this kind of stuff. And you better have a big shield of faith. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and all the other implements of the full armor of God. Breastplate of righteousness, loins girdle with truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace, helmet of salvation, shield of faith. Above all, taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You better make sure you got the right Bible. You got an NIV, you're quoting, it's like, you know, it's like trying to swing a wet noodle. You got a King James, and you've memorized the King James Bible verses. You know, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, you hide the word of God in your heart. Forever, O Lord, thy words are settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You go on and on and on about committing the word of God to memory. But if you don't, if you don't have any word of God committed to memory, how are you going to properly fight the enemy on, on the day of battle? How are you going to engage the enemy? When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of him. That's how you fight the devil. Is that my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Commit that one to memory and believe it. Commit the sword of the spirit. It's like a fire and like a hammer. You speak those words to these things if you're ever confronted with them. You see one of these black-eyed beans that I've talked about? These, these, these ones that show up at the door? You don't open the door to them. You don't open the door to any malevolent being because you open the door, you're giving them permission to come in. Unless God tells you to go out there and confront them. But I'm saying if you see one of these things, and this very well may happen in the day and times that are coming, and you may not believe it, but you better have the faith to believe you can deal with these things. And I don't even mean thinking that you're going to go out there with a 12 gauge and just blow these things away. Because you're dealing with spiritual entities here. Huge spiritual component. I'm not saying that you want to protect yourself. But I'm saying I really believe when it comes to this pure evil stuff, it's going to be much more of a spiritual engagement in battle than it is going to be physical weaponry. Because if you have your faith in physical weaponry, that's where your faith is limited to. You have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and on His Word, God can work miracles. The holy angelic host of God going before you. The blood of Jesus Christ being against your enemies. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit. The weapons of our warfare are greater than theirs. Our allies, our heavenly implements of war and allies are greater than the, than the elements of darkness. It's, it's serious. It's really that a big... I, mean, I understand, this hasn't quite happened on a mass scale yet, worldwide. But I truly do believe these days are coming. And God is looking for a remnant that He can use. That His name can be glorified through. You know how much glory God would get if there were people out there engaging in this particular way when it goes down? He's going to get a lot of glory. It's going to be like Gideon's army. It's going to be few. He gets more glory that way. If it was like even odds, God's not going to get that much glory. You could say, well, it was even odds. What if it's one person against legions of these things? I don't know how it's going to work out or play out. 
All I know is my God created the universe. And is there anything, call upon me and, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call upon God. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? No, God, you created the universe. You gave me life. You saved my soul. Nothing too hard for you. <laughs> Nothing. I want to see his name glorified and multitudes of people get saved as a result of what he would do through this remnant. Not everybody's called to this exact battle. We're the body of Christ. Can the finger say to the eye, depart of me, I have no need? So I'm not going to sit here and condemn other people that don't feel like they have this as their primary calling. Like I'm so much better and I'm willing to go out and do this or that. Uh-uh. I'm no better than anyone else. I'm just saying, this is like where I feel like I'm supposed to go to the battle, to the... I'm supposed, I feel like I'm supposed to go toward the darkness, to confront it. And I don't say that because I think I'm Mr. Big and Bad or Mr. Proud. I'm just telling you, I have this unbelievable desire to see this battle actually finally start to happen in a way because this dream world that we're living in now is not really based on reality. There's so much pretending and playing church and, and I just feel like it's going to separate the sheep from the goats. I feel like it's going to be, okay, let's get finally real here. Let's Because this is more real what I'm talking about than we really realize. And that will be manifest very shortly, I believe. So, as a result, today's youth have exchanged yesterday's pigtails and pop guns for pentagrams and blood covenants aligned with forces far stronger than former generations could have imagined. And this is on a mass scale. All the brainwashing with witchcraft, which we're going to talk about, Harry Potter, Halloween, all of the massive amounts of... Satan's really, really concerned about getting people into witchcraft and into evil things and into... Sending out this mass perception that, you know what, evil's so strong. It's sexy. It's, it's the winning team. No, it's not. It's all a lie from the pit of hell. We're the ones that have the strength. We're the ones that have the real weapons as a born-again Christian. They don't. They're the pretenders. Their destination is hell and the lake of fire. They're on the losing team. That's a fact. That's what we need to get ingrained into our thought pattern. If we die, we die, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. If they kill us, they're doing us a favor as a born-again Christian. So, this is a good point. If we could see through the veil into the supernatural realm, we would find a world alive with good against evil. A place where the ultimate prize is the soul of this generation and where the legions of the legions war for control of its cities and its people. See, that's more real than our little everyday lives. What I just said there. A world alive, good against evil. Devils, fallen angels, Satan against God's holy angels, his warrior angels, his, you know, his angelic host, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father God. And in the middle, we've got all these people on planet Earth. And they're used either for evil or good. You've got to be on one side or the other. Again, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where the real battle is. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye, be, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. See, that evil day is coming. That's what the evil day I was talking about. That's why you've got to have the full armor of God on to be able to withstand it. If you don't, you can't withstand it. And having done all to stand. You stand against evil. You don't run. You don't have any armor on your backside. You turn to run, you got no armor on the back. You ever think about that? You stand. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now this is 2 Corinthians 10.3. We walk in the flesh, sure, we're in a physical body, but we don't war after the flesh. That's not how we engage in warfare. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. These strongholds were mentioned in the previous verse in Ephesians 6. The principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. These are the strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. A lot of evil forces are trying to suppress the true knowledge of God from being known. Casting down imaginations and also casting down everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Whatsoever you bind in heaven will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound on earth. That type of verse. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. So we have to be obedient vessels to Christ. In order to actually be used by him. Well if we're disobedient. How's he going to use us? You know. So having in a readiness. To revenge all disobedience. And again this is a spiritual thing. This isn't you going out and hacking up somebody. But it's saying you're having in a readiness. To revenge all disobedience. I think this really goes into the whole. Seeing all this evil stuff all the time and getting righteous indignant, which is an attribute of God, if we're created in his image. And then the whole, then, okay, temper that with be angry and sin not. Praying that God does judge the wicked, like in Psalm 64. Not that we want people to go to hell, but that by their deaths, Many people would see and fear and declare the work of God that they would wisely consider of his doing and the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart would glory. That's the goal. Many be converted. Seeing and fearing. Declaring the work of God. People not sinning more. And it was an encouragement to the righteous. Just key in the word psalm in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com and you'll understand Psalm 64. Imprecatory prayers. Uh, God's judgment on wickedness, a Christian's door of hope. When God judges the wicked, good things happen. Okay, that one last verse, I got that turned around a little bit. Uh, Matthew 16, 19, I'll give thee unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And it's also restated in uh, Matthew 18, 18. So, I just wanted to make sure I get that right. It's hard with as many verses I quote, and most of them are off the top of my head to maybe not get some things interposed now and then. Anyway, 
Uh, last verse here, Ephesians, again, Ephesians 4.26, Be ye angry and sin not. You know. And um, with everything that is happening in the culture today, this is back to the main article, Christian leaders should use the month of October and the season of Halloween to address these issues. Frankly, preachers need to care enough about those families and their youth within their care to take a stand or stand down. Be gutsy enough to use their pulpit for something eternally useful or quit the ministry and become a car salesman. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it'd be better if they quit the ministry and become a car salesman than lead people astray from the pulpit. It's more of a, a obviously, a spiritually, seriously significant thing that you're talking about here. So, next report. What real witches practice for Halloween? On Hallow's Eve... On, on All Hallows' Eve, is more than candy and playtime for some members of the society, for members of Wicca, one of the fastest-growing religions in the world. Now, these are supposedly white witches. The word Wicca means twisted or bent. Uh, this is the season of... of it, it looks, if you just read the word, it looks like you'd say Samhain, but it's Samhain, is that how it's actually pronounced from an occult standpoint. It's spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. It's pronounced Samhain. It is a magical time. The Halloween Sabbat which is like their version of their Sabbath, celebration concludes for Wiccans on November 1st. With the final turn of the year wheel, Mother Earth, Gaia, nods a sad farewell to the God who will, who will be reborn at Yule, which is on December 20th. And a new life cycle begins anew. This is the time to honor the Earth Mother Gaia, remember the ancients, and revere the horned God of the hunt. This is, this is how they practice their religion. This is what... Halloween is really all about. It has no basis in anything good or Christian. According to the Celtic Almanac, the Wiccan year begins following Halloween. The seasonal, it's also, I've, I've been told it was the birth date of Satan, is another reason they like it. The seasonal scenario that follows is reminiscent of the earth goddess and dying god cults of ancient civilizations. Now, if you want to see my full teaching I've done on Halloween, I give you the link right here. It's called Halloween, Human Sacrifice, Stonehenge, and the Wicker Man. It's a nice little lighthearted, um, you know, trip down memory lane there. Uh, anyway, Yule is on December 20th and it celebrates the goddess giving birth to the sun god, Tammuz. Okay, which was obviously, this is whole in association with uh, Christmas, and which was originally called Saturnalia. Uh, anyway, I get into that in depth, and I give you a ton of teachings I've done here on, on uh, I like to call it Xmas, because I don't really want to associate Christ with it in any way, shape, or form. It's their Christ. It's their version of Christ, the sun god, not the son of God, Tammuz. But you see how the Catholic Church manipulated it? Oh no, it's, yeah, to the pagans they said, oh no, it's, it's the birth date of the sun god, Tammuz. And to the Christians they said, no, it's the birth date of the son of God. See, that way everybody was happy. And they could amalgamate it and, and twist it into one sick, disgusting holy day, which is where we get the word holiday. And it was nothing more than pagan from the very beginning. So, my teaching, Xmas, the biggest pagan holiday slash holy day of the year, and then an end-time current event where I went heavily into it, and then a four-part teaching on, it's, it's entitled Exposing Christ, Christ Mass, because that's where we get the word Christmas, it's a mass, Catholic, Christ Mass, Catholicism, the Pope, the Catholic Mary, the Queen of Heaven, and the coming one world religion. Four-part teaching there, I give you all the parts to it 
uh, right here on page 14. The next season after this is Imbolc, and marks the recovery of the goddess after giving birth to the god. Because, you know, hey, I mean, it's hard to give birth to a god, so it takes some time to recover. I mean, come on, you've got to give her that. So then we have the spring equinox, Ostara, which marks the first day of spring. Now, Ishtar, or Easter, is determined by where Ostara falls. Okay, this is why Easter is determined through, basically, astrology every year. Because it's based on where Ostara. It's not the same day. Well, hold on. If it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be on a fixed same day every year? Well, yeah, it would. Like somebody's birthday? But it's not. It changes. It can vary over a month. That's because it's determined through astrology. That's because it was paganism. From the beginning, it's, a, it's all part of the whole fertility. Goddess cult worship. The goddess awakes as the days grow longer and the light overtakes the darkness. The goddess Ishtar, or East, which is where we drive the word Easter, fills the earth with fertility. has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. See, uh, here's my teachings on uh, Easter, Ishtar, paganism repackaged, and then I also did two other end-time current event teachings where I covered Easter as well. I also cover why the King James Bible is the only Bible that lists the word Easter one time. And a lot of people say, see, that was, it just proves the King James Bible is wrong. It proves it was right. And there's a real, there's a absolute total biblical reason why they translated the word Easter in that one verse. And I get into that. It's amazing. It's another real strength builder when you see that. Anyway, next, uh, pagan holy day, Beltane, which is May 1st. Uh, was the day the Illuminati was actually formed by Adam Weishaupt back in 1776. Um, Beltane, also known as May Day, uh, you know how they have the maypole? That's a big phallic thing, bad, 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 where they wrap the strings around it, bad, anyway. Beltane celebrates the transformation of the boy god into manhood. He is filled with lust for the goddess and lies with her in the grass. Now, it, you know, this is great. Uh, the, the earth becomes pregnant with her vitality. Crops begin to grow and flowers bloom. They believe all this garbage. I mean, this is like insanity. And then there's Litha, which is midsummer, arrives as the powers of nature escalates. This is where the Bohemian boy go, guys, uh, elitists, get together every summer at the Bohemian Grove and have their big fertility thing. Um, Anyway, that's midsummer. The Earth Mother is filled with fertility. Wiccans practice numerous kinds of magic during the season. The next season is Lugnathda. I probably butchered the name, I'm sorry. But it's the time of the first harvest. The Wiccan god begins to lose his strength as the sun rises higher each day. Aww. The nights grow longer. The god begins to die. Oh, what's this world coming to? Anyway, and then there's Mabon, is the completion of the harvest. The Wiccan god suffers death, draws back into darkness, and waits to be reborn at Yule. Must be a hard gig, kind of dying and being reborn every year. It's kind of like Baby New Year, you know, Father Time, that whole f- dynamic. Anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, the Wicca year cycle described above is similar to those held by early pagans who viewed the natural world with awe and superstition. Ancients watched the changing of the seasons and wondered about life and the death of crops. Well, God just arranged it that way. The way the earth goes around the sun and that type of thing and the way the earth is just tilted at the right angle. These are the reasons we have seasons. 
Okay. Anyway, they perceive such natural processes as mystic and develop fertility cults with gods and goddesses who died and were reborn. The worship of the Earth's spirit as a mother and the incarnation of the Earth's fertility forces within dying gods and goddesses developed into one of the most widespread forms of paganism in antiquity. This is how all these pagan cults came about. And obviously the devils and demons were there to brainwash their followers and to believe in this garbage. Anyway, whether it was Inanna of the Sumerians, Ishtar, which is where we get the word Easter, of the Babylonians, or Fortuna of the Romans, which is where we get the word fortunate from, unfortunately, uh, and no pun intended, every civilization had a sect of religion based on the embodiment of the Earth's spirit as a caring mother goddess. Just don't make her mad. You know, the Egyptians worshipped Hathor in this way, as did the Chinese Shingmu. The Germans worshipped Hertha as the great earth mother, and the apostate Jews idolized the queen of heaven. Remember, they baked cakes to the queen of heaven in Jeremiah, was it Jeremiah 11, 7 or 14? Was, I think it was Jeremiah 7. Anyway, in Greece, the queen of the Olympian goddesses and the mother earth was her, Hera. Before her was Gaia the creator Mother Earth, and beneath her were many other Earth goddesses, including Demeter, Artemis, Aphrodite, and Hecate. The principal idea was that, and evidently still is among Wiccans, that the Earth is a sentient being. The ancient and universally accepted idea of a living Earth was also a fertile mother and was conceptualized in different ways and in various goddess myths and images throughout the ancient world. From these and other ancient records, it is obvious that the earth was more than an agricultural or herbaceous facility to the pagans. She was a personable and the eldest of all beings, the holy goddess, the bountiful spirit, and the all-nourishing mother of men who manifested herself within the popular idols and mother goddesses. And because they viewed her as a sentient being, earth, they believed they had to practice their religion and it would have sacrifices in order to appease the mother goddess, lest she be grieved and then you wouldn't have a harvest or you wouldn't have this, you wouldn't have that. And this is, it always, it always devolves into human sacrifice, always. That's what Mother Earth requires because she's just kind of demanding, you know. Anyway, uh, modern Wiccans and Neo-Pagans perceive the Earth Similarly, often referring to Earth as Gaia, a living, caring entity, we are told that people are just one of Mother Earth's species. I love it when people refer to us as a species. The monkeys are a species. The, you know, geckos are a species, or whatever. Reptilians, and we're a species. Yes, that's a New World Order buzzword. We are a species, and not her dominators. She provides the living biosphere. The region on, above, and below her surface were created where created things, both physical and spiritual, live. No, God created the earth. He created the universe. And he created us. We need to give credit to God, not to the ball of dirt we're living on. Okay? I mean, it is amazing, but I'm just saying. It's ridiculous. Anyway, let's go forward here. Um, During Samhain, the Samhain Sabbat, or Halloween, pagans celebrate the time when the veil between the living and the dead is at its thinnest. A period when those spirits beneath Gaia's surfaces can move more easily and communicate with the living. All the ones that are, you know, in the earth, 
the devils and demons and these fallen angels. Hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's the time that they believe the veil between the spirit worlds are at their thinnest. Now, this is the whole reason that they wore costumes hundreds and hundreds of years ago for the Halloween human sacrifice nights where they would burn people alive in the Wicker Man. And um, I got into that in the teaching I just cited. They believe that unless they wore costumes, the costumes were a way to ward off and scare equally scary spirits that would come and manifest themselves literally on Halloween. That's why they wore costumes. Okay, This is where we get the tradition of wearing costumes. Every other tradition of Halloween has some unbelievably evil origin as well. And I get into all that in the teaching that I did. So, Wiccans might find it interesting that many Christian theologians agree with the idea that the physical earth contains spiritual forces. For instance, the book of Revelation, chapter 9, verse 14, we read that the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates, and they're, they're there right now. It's a pretty sobering spot. Thought they're going to be released in you know, the tribulation. Likewise, in Job 26, 5, we find that quote, dead things are formed from under the waters, end of quote. Hmm, that's interesting. Additional biblical references indicate that the earth is a kind of holding tank or prison where God has bound certain fallen entities, just see 2 Peter 2.4, Jude 6, that such fallen angels seek to communicate with or participate in the affairs of humanity is defined in scripture. I don't know if I buy into that, because I believe the spirits that are actually bound that the Bible talks about in those verses, they're bound in Tartarus, which is a special compartment of hell. It's the only time that hell is tra- translated from the word Tartarus. It's, it's where these actual fallen angels that fell during the days of Noah, and probably after that, when they also there were more giants in the land after the flood, it's where they're bound up. It's where the Bible says they're bound up. I don't know if they have the ability to communicate where they're at. There's plenty of other fallen angels to fill the ranks, and there's plenty of other devils and demons and these types of things to get that job done. So that's kind of a stretch, theologically. you know. Anyway, the Hebrew people were warned that earth spirits pretended to be gods, um, pretending to be gods might seek communion with men, and when the witch of Endor communicated with the same, she saw the gods ascended up and out of the earth. When Saul asked her, what did you see? He says, the gods ascend up and out of the earth. 1 Samuel 28, 13. It would seem, therefore, based on such scriptures. Now, in other words, gods for them were the gods that like somebody like the witch of Endor would have actually worshipped. That were their gods, not good gods. Okay? Or a good, there's only one god. But I mean, you know what I'm saying. There weren't like, when she saw gods ascending up, up and out of the earth, she was seeing most likely fallen angels. It would seem, therefore, based on such scriptures, that the dynamic or energy behind the earth goddess spirits of Halloween is indeed real and, according to Christian doctrine, identical with the legions of fallen spiritual forces. As in antiquity, those who practice modern paganism are guilty of worshipping devils. See Revelation 9.20. The dogma once embraced and that continues through such earth-centric paganism as Wicca is defined in scriptures as the doctrines of devils, which is just, I already quoted that verse probably three times, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Apostle Paul said, quote, The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. End of quote. 1 Corinthians 1020. This is why we don't want to eat food that's sacrificed to devils if we're aware of it, as the Bible talks about there. It's just not a good practice to get into. That's why I hate halal food and meat, particularly halal meat, which literally is sacrificed where they say Allah Akbar, where Allah is greatest every time they cut the chicken's head off. 
or kill the cow. If you're eating halal meat, and it'll have a label on it typically. Of course, if you go to a restaurant, you're not going to know a lot of times. I've done a study on that. Just key in H-A-L-A-L in the keyword search box at contendingfortruth.com. It's a meat sacrifice to a devil. You know, it's a big deal. Anyway, Psalm 95.5 concludes, quote, all the gods of the nations are idols. Gods, small g. Thus, pagan images such as those represented representing the ancient gods and goddesses are but empty idols, but are the living dynamics of idolatry and spiritual objects of pagan adoration. Satan, which are like Satan, devils, and fallen angels. Because the Bible clearly defines such goddess worship as the homage of devils, and since devils are eternal personalities that desire the worship of humans, it is fair to characterize Wiccan deities, including the god, goddess, and horn god of the hunt, as neo-pagan titles attributed to fallen angels. Or devils. The New Testament tells the story of presenting the gospel to pagans. It records conversions to Christ and the abandonment of earth-centered goddess cults. So powerful was the spread of early Christian faith that the pagan religions that had dominated the Middle East for thousands of years crumbled. Some of them. I mean, I'm not going to say all, obviously all paganism did, but it had a huge effect. The cold embrace of Mother Earth could not match the magnetic warmth warmth of the love of God and his salvation through Jesus Christ. In fact, the last recorded utterance of the Oracle of Delphi seems to indicate the spirit of the Olympians understood that he was no match for Jesus. This is from the book, The Man, the Myth, and the Magic. We read, quote, Apollo delivered his last oracle at the Oracle of Delphi. Okay, these are, I'm, I'm assuming, the Greeks. Uh, in the year 362 AD, to the physician of the Emperor Julian, the Byzantine ruler who tried to restore paganism after Christianity had come on the scene. And it said, tell the king, said the oracle, quote, that the curiously built temple has fallen to the ground, that bright Apollo no longer has a roof over his head, or a prophetic laurel, laurel, or a babbling spring. Yes, even the murmuring water has dried up. In other words, it's showing that the Lord Jesus Christ is greater. Okay, The worship of Diana in Ephesus was another stronghold of earth-centered goddesses' cults. Dianic witchcraft was the greatest unifying pagan religion among all pagan people up to that time. It took 220 years to build the massive temple of Diana in Ephesus. Can you imagine devoting your whole life? 220 years? Can you imagine you're, you're like a whole generation of people, generation after, they're devoting their whole life to building a stinking idol. I mean, what a colossal waste of time and a life and just dedication to pure evil. It's, it's really sad. Yet, when Paul preached the gospel of Jesus to the Ephesians, quote, many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together, curious arts in this case mean witchcraft, and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. What was the result? So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed, and many got saved. When you burn cursed objects, good things happen. God honors that. Acts 19, 17-20. May, may we with joy declare such a life-changing gospel and not be ashamed, quote, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. Romans 1.16. Now, I also post my teaching here regarding true salvation that I mentioned earlier. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 
Okay, I'm going to go ahead and part, end part three here, and we'll go to the final part, and uh, we will see you in part four. God bless you.